The information expressed in the following podcast is intended for educational purposes only and was created by and belongs solely to Believe Limited and the Flow podcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of our sponsors. Please speak to your healthcare provider before making any medical decisions. It's like a proper anatomy model supply chain for medical schools. I have to say, though, I want I want more. I it's hard to it needs determine. To go with the clitoris. Yeah, we need more. Like I just need more space. I need like a large. Like oh bigger. wait, what was that, Sarah? That's the clitoris. Yeah. Great. Yeah. My Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's like a piece of art. I think they could like work that into your model there, Jessica. Yeah. And you could have yes. like external anatomy and then getting Inter into yes. internal anatomy. Love it. That's it. Because I really do. I want like an interactive cervix. I want like one oh, that you can like interact with here. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be very cool. Just to understand. I'm going to reserve my opinion on the interactive <laughs> cervix. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> we could like we could like see it like how it opens up to bleed. Wouldn't that be yeah, interesting? Right. It'd be a really good conversation point. Put it on a coffee table in your house. I mean, yes. everybody yeah. feel really comfortable. <laughs> They're coming Doctor. over for a dinner party. Oh yeah, my my friends know. They know. They get lubrication every time they come over. So might as well have a cervix out there too. That is great. Supplies. So oh, goodie bag. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty Most much. people are happy to get leftovers. Ah, I'm like, hey, do you, I got a new box of lube. I work at home right now. Do you want some lube? Like, please take it off. Do you get the good this stuff? Is why. Yeah, I get Uber lube and Sliquid right now. And good, say, clean love. Yeah. Oh, mm. good, clean love. Love that. Mm -hmm. Well, that is why we open every time with, hello, I'm Jessica. Welcome to Flow. I'm here with Sarah Watson, sex therapist. And then, Dr. Abraham, we say that she has like a lube super soaker gun, just like lube for all, you know? <laughs> sex therapist. Where mm -hmm. is it liberally with those that know her, right? <laughs> exactly. Those that care. And of course, we have Dr. Maggie Abraham of the Gyne Space, and we're going to hear about the inspiration and the art of gynecology and education. But first, we all want to know, how's your flow? I mean, I'm Ludiel. I want the world to know. I'm Ludiel. I'm Ludiel. That's my <laughs> contribution. Mm, Samesies. <laughs> Me too. I love that you asked that. So the gynecologist among among us has no idea. <laughs> but I love that you put my menstruation front and center and just put us on the spot, you know, to acknowledge our period. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. So I have a I have an IUD, a hormonal IUD. So I don't really bleed anymore, which is mm. I know, but can I ask? Yes, because Sarah also, sorry, has one. But do you mm -hmm. feel the hormonal flow of when you flow of when you ovulate? Do you feel still hormonal shifts? No. Oh, no. not that I'm aware of. Oh, mm -hmm. maybe I'm just less in tune. Mm, maybe or. I, I, or you're just awesome and that works out yeah, well like, for you? Like you can like ride the raging river of hormones and you're like, no problem. What? That's <laughs> what I do. <laughs> I love Teach us your ways. Teach us your ways. We're going to get back into all of the guidance space right after this quick break. <laughs> 
This ad is brought to you by Von Vendi, Von Willebrand Factor Recombinant. Hi, my name is Nicole. I didn't always feel empowered to speak up for myself or ask for the care and support I needed. Becoming part of a community and hearing other people's experiences helped to change my perspective. That's why my deciding factor is making my voice heard. To hear my story and access other helpful resources, drop by Von Bendy, that's V-O-N-B-E-N-D-I dot com slash patient dash stories. I'm so excited to talk to you with you, Dr. Maggie. Do you prefer Dr. Abraham? Do you prefer prefer Maggie? How do you prefer to be addressed? Oh, gosh. Um, Call me Maggie. It's totally fine. Dr. Abraham sounds very serious and official. (laughs) So Maggie's totally fine. You can call me, yeah. Whatever rolls off your tongue, I am good with. We want to honor all your study and everything you've Mm -hmm. done to be in a position of authority to help educate and inspire those just starting to learn about menstruation. What inspired you to work specifically with youth that are understanding menstrual realities for the first time? Oh, that's a great question. So I'm an OB-GYN, right? An obstetrician and gynecologist. And um, I discovered the field, I think, quite by accident. I think maybe it found me. So after I graduated residency, I wanted to remain in academics. And so I took a job with the University of Florida in Gainesville. And I was kind of like the young attending, like junior faculty. And they had a relationship with the health center, the student health center at UF. And one gynecologist staffed a morning clinic once a week. And so they selected me to be that person. And that was kind of my introduction into the field. I just loved working with young adults and um, they also had a teen clinic, actually, that I staffed, too. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, and uh, I realized just how neglected the reproductive needs of youth are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people came to me with so many things that were just undiagnosed for years. And I just thought, like, wow, like, we could have figured this out mm-hmm. a lot earlier and saved them a lot of, you know, heartache and pain and discomfort and anxiety along the way. So I went back four years later and did a fellowship in the field and then just discovered the breadth of it, the extent of um, of the field. And yeah, that's that's kind of my story, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. A fellowship that has a specific focus of study within the arena of gynecology? Yeah. So pediatric and adolescent gynecologists are obstetricians and gynecologists who focus on the reproductive care of birth through to 25. Um, And we're a small subspecialty field within the larger field of obstetrics and gynecology. There's only about like 20 of us that graduate each year in the whole of North America. Oh my. Many of us. Gosh. But I feel like we're doing a lot of great work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, championing the reproductive health of adolescents. Dude, that sounds like so few. Like my arts college had 20 graduating from my year, and that feels like so 
few people across North America, that's how many, are added to the field? Yeah, that's That crazy. seems like a very small amount. So I'm just curious in ratio to other OBGYNs. Oh my know. gosh. I mean, you know, some residency programs will graduate, you know, eight, eight residency year. Um, so it's really small. And I think, you know, that really brings to light just how neglected the reproductive mm-hmm. care of our tweens and teens are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like an afterthought, you know, they get kind of shuffled into the world of pediatrics or they get shuffled into the adult gynecology world and neither are like they're, they have their own unique needs, right? Um, so, yeah. And I think, you know, you know, they really do a really great job of, you know, wherever they land, like disseminating information <laughs> to their pediatric colleagues and to their adult colleagues and building capacity wherever they are for, 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 for those physicians also to take care of of the needs of, of teens and tweens. Um, I think we've done a, like education is a big mission of ours in general, mm-hmm. and I think we've done a good job there. And also I think just residents coming up now, it's so different. Like I graduated residency in, oh, don't get me talking, but <laughs> 2010, oh my gosh. So I graduated in 2010 and back then, like I graduated not knowing the field existed, right? And now I think, you know, there's a curriculum. So residents are taught about the reproductive, um, how to provide reproductive care um, to teens and tweens and to the pediatric age population. Um, And so, you know, we formalized curriculum and different things. So I think the trainees of today are getting a more comprehensive um, education in, in providing care. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because these needs have been neglected for too long, right? Oh, for yeah. sure. I can I I think what it, what kind of uh strikes me is remembering like my first gynecology visit and being like, I what so that physician probably had no clue, right? Like being like a six I think 15? I think I was 15 or 16 because I wanted to be on birth control because I had, you know, my period and it was it wasn't great. And I remember like that was terrifying. And I can only imagine what it would be like had I gone to someone who understood what it was like to be a teenage girl and knew what was going on with my body, which is very different at 15 or 16 versus 26, 27. Yes. And even just relating to a 15, 16 year old, right? So different. It's so different to relating to an adult. And, you know, I think, you know, when an adult sees a gynecologist, you know, a pelvic exam is likely needed. Mm -hmm. When a teen sees one, a pelvic exam is likely not needed. And, you know, things like that keep teens away from Mm -hmm. seeing a gynecologist, fear of, you know, those those things. There are a lot of barriers, mm-hmm. um, and there's a a lot more that I think we can do to to step into that space mm-hmm. and and help our teens to you know develop reproductive wellness from an early age. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. For someone who it may not seem so obvious, what would you say those unique needs are that separate teen experience from adult you know gyno experience? Mm. 
Right. Well, you know, when a, a tween or teen comes to see a gynecologist, you know, they they have a, a parent or guardian, you know, who's also part of that picture. So you have to speak to both, right? Um, so that's one of the things mm. that, that are important. And often I think when when a tween or teen comes to see me, it's because, you know, they've been through, they've exhausted all other resources, right? Mm. They've mm-hmm. seen their pediatrician or they've seen maybe they've been to the emergency room. Um, they've hit a wall and they're really struggling, right? Their periods are either extreme, um, either extremely painful or not happening at all or really heavy. So usually they have have a problem. And so there's already a precedent set where menstruation and puberty has been this really difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And so unpacking some of that, finding solutions for them and then... <laughs> And then, you know, you may have like five solutions, but then you've got to find one that's going to jive with that teenager, right? Because taking Mm -hmm. medicine can be hard Mm -hmm. um, for any of us, right? And so finding what's going to work with their lifestyle and understanding like what their goals are and then dismantling, you know, some of the fears and and anxieties around around everything that's happened to them. You know, I think their period can often be quite traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that if we kind of got in there earlier, we could really shape things differently for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those that care for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be really mm-hmm. hard for parents and caregivers, you know, to see their, their children struggle. And some parents can relate because they've experienced something similar, like an adult with endometriosis, you know, when their child has painful periods, they, they can often relate. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes parents can't, can, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they feel at a loss for how to access help for their, for their, for their child, um, or for their, you know, um, teenager. Um, and so it can, it can be really overwhelming mm-hmm. and, and these things are sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just a lot more common than any of us realize just because so much of it is just not talked about periods are, you know, still like, we talk, we talk all the time about normalizing Mm -hmm. the conversation around menstruation, but not normalizing the acceptance of the heavy pain, which is sometimes a block generationally, Mm -hmm. because there's been an endurance model that's been handed down of how to deal with pain versus research and study that it can help lead to a diagnosis and maybe treatment for extreme pain. So how do you ever run into that with the caregiver and the patient dynamic yeah this idea of this is just the family norm we just deal with it Mm -hmm. and this idea for you know that um that if you can't cope with your period you are less than you know um and i think that's just so hard and you know teenagers worry you know they just like the rest of us they don't want to be burdensome to their parents they don't want to cause their parents any anxiety and they don't want to to appear weak or not able to 
to cope. Mm-hmm. And yet they're, you know, having to push through and do all the things, right? Like school's demanding, sports yeah. are demanding, life is demanding, relationships are challenging. They're having to navigate all of that and sometimes you know, a lot of fear and anxiety and discomfort and pain um, around a period and also embarrassment when they're leaking through and soaking through at inopportune times. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many young women default from sports yes. because mm-hmm. of their period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and, mm-hmm. and don't get help. You know, instead they start to rearrange their life to accommodate a, a, a period, right? Instead of instead of managing the period to let them live the life, life that yeah. they want, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, well, and right before we started this recording, I spoke with our amazing editor, Kay, and we were discussing the stigma of being a teenage girl and feeling like you're difficult or feeling the stigma of being a challenge because your emotions might be hormonally shifting. And that, in the, like not wanting to be stigmatized as such when a young person is starting to menstruate. Mm-hmm. How do we enter the conversation about that, about not, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, <laughs> every, well, everybody's different, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, some, <laughs> I find this in my office all the time, <laughs> conversation so different depending on on the, the tween or teen, where they're at, and honestly, what they think of you, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, you know, some are really in tune with their bodies and really are hungry for knowledge and understanding. And then... Others just kind of want to know, like, how do I fix this? Like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think, you know, a um, hundred little conversations layered over time is so much better than one big conversation, you know, that's just kind of overwhelming and just too much. So I definitely feel like we should be starting these conversations early and there isn't too early like so often parents like come to me and they they wait you know they think oh I don't want to bring it up until my child's in puberty and I'm like no you know hearts so important normalizing you know vulva vagina uterus you know cervix like making that part of just normal and then yeah i mean the idea of blood coming out of an orifice right you know for a kid like that's a lot but they take their cues from those that care for them mm-hmm. so if we have those conversations early we can really speak to you know um you know we can really provide a lot of reassurance early on and position them well for when those body changes happen because puberty is about a tremendous change right um and change is stressful right that's it is and so i think positioning them well means conversation early on and i think we can layer those conversations and build capacity um for you know 
a good reproductive story, right? And journey, even though it may be challenging, right? Because right. right. we know the reality of painful periods and heavy periods and, yeah. and some of those pieces. Yeah. I think we can do a better job collectively, like as, as parents and guardians, but then also even beyond that, you know, as educators and aunties, mm-hmm. it takes a village. I totally yes. think, you know, yes, yes, yes. definitely takes, you know, a village to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and in the village of you speaking with so many starting to menstruate, what kind of language are you finding teens are using to describe their pain if it's extreme? Is there, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it depends again on their age, right? Some can be pretty <laughs> graphic. Um, and others are just like, it's really bad. You know, mm-hmm. they don't really want, they don't have the language in many cases because, you know, people haven't invited them to have a conversation. Right. So things that I do is, I'll give them a menstrual diary or I'll start to to be like, you know, try try to have them talk about what they experience and also what it's holding them back from. Like teenagers who don't want to go and hang out with their friends because of their period yes. or who just, you know, are, are not participating in activities that they love because of their period, you know then their period's a problem. Mm -hmm. And I often find like on the other side, when we've made things better, that's when they really start to open up about how bad things really Mm -hmm. were. I think they have a lot of expectations on themselves um, about being strong enough to manage their period. And, you know, my mom had a a bad period and, and she got through it. And, you know, it's not every day that's bad, it's just, three days every month. You know what I mean? So I think they can be really hard on themselves. Um, Then um, they don't want to look like they're copping out either. Um, In my experience, I I don't think people are use their period as an excuse. Mm. You know, I feel like we often view them through that lens. And I think that's definitely the exception and not the norm. What comes to mind, we've had other physicians on that are hematologists, like pediatric hematologists and oncologists, right? And what hap- what often happens, right, is that we'll have, this doctor will have a, a patient come in and describe their bleeding. And then the physician who, Dr. Foley was talking about this just, right, where the physician then turns to the mm-hmm. mom and says, okay, well, what's your bleeding like? And getting that generational history and then also providing education for the adult in the room as well. Does that happen with your clients or your patients as well? Or is that something you kind of stay away from? And because you're talking about normalizing language and giving information out. But that comes right. It comes from the source, right? Whoever their trusted adult is. And if they don't have the information either, it's going to they're going to stay stuck in the cycle. Yeah. Like in my practice, one thing that I found really valuable is definitely having time with the the patient. And in <laughs> my practice, that's usually the adolescent right? with their parent or guardian, and then also some one-on-one time as well, where I can really, because often they will defer to mm-hmm. their parent or their parent will kind of come in and be like, this is a story. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I really <laughs> right. get it from all angles so I can kind of piece it together. But okay. you're right. Like a third of women experience heavy menstrual bleeding, right? It's crazy. It's crazy. And of those, and of mm-hmm. those up to a third have a bleeding disorder. Right. Right. Hello. Here we are. But no one talks about it. We're like way under diagnosing. Mm-hmm. So we're way under diagnosing. We're not managing this. Right. Right. We're not managing it well. And um, I really think there's a gap in knowledge and awareness and a real big gap in what's normal. And because adolescents take their cues from those around them, like if their parent has had really heavy periods and their parent has normalized that, mm-hmm. then they're likely, you know, there's a good chance that they're going to normalize it for their child too. Mm-hmm. And then it if teenagers are not talking to each other about their period because, you know, it's a private mm-hmm. thing, it's not something you discuss, you hide your tampon, you hide your pad, you pretend you're not really on your period when you are, mm-hmm. you know, then they have no frame of reference, at least no healthy frame of reference. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics and um, ACOG, the American mm-hmm. College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, I think in 2008, and I could be wrong with the date, they came out with, you know, we need to consider a period as a vital sign. So in the same way as we check in about blood pressure and heart rate, we need to be asking about a period, you know, I think that's so important. The more that it's considered a well, like part of your, part of your vitals, like an indicator of wellness and or or on wellness the more these conversations happen the bigger like the the better chance we have of providing adequate mm-hmm. care yes. reproductive care to to women or or to menstruators right yeah right right and what do you think is most missing from i don't know either the education OBGYNs are getting or the education that teens are getting in order to locate the first step of, oh, I need to look for a diagnosis. So OBGYN, <laughs> I mean, you know, when we do residency, like it's a fire hose, like mm-hmm. you're hurting huh. so much. And if you never encounter, you know, you may encounter an adolescent um, pregnancy mm-hmm. um, or you may encounter um you know, it really depends on your exposure. You're much more likely to be encountering adults, right? And so I definitely think there are some gaps there in um, education that I, I think, you know, um, societies like NASPAC are definitely making inroads into. Um, so also, you know, if they never come to see a gynecologist, what chance have we of helping them, Right. Right. So I think awareness is really important. Women and girls bleeding disorder clinics of excellence have really, where you have gynecologists, usually pediatric and adolescent gynecologists, working side by side with hematologists, yes. putting these pieces together. Those um, pieces are, are really valuable. And when they exist in institutions, then you know young women, um, going to the emergency room with the never-ending period or who are anemic or automatically getting funneled into these clinics and then mm-hmm. managed, right? So I think that piece, that infrastructure is really important. That's really changed over the past 
10 years, you know, yeah. a 14 year old, you know, it's not uncommon for them to go out and play, I don't know, like a soccer game with the hemoglobin of like six and just be like, yeah, I feel a bit tired. You know, they have a tremendous capacity to mm. function even when, you know, they're operating on an empty gas tank. And so, mm. so much gets missed. And I guess I, you know, you can probably tell, like, I love working <laughs> with teenagers, but I also have come to really admire them. Just their ability to just push through, mm -hmm. their ability to just adapt, change, take on new things. It's really inspirational, you know? I think teens are are I think they're a wonderful <laughs> a wonderful group to work with they inspire me to, mm. to do better for them but also I have great hope for the future of medicine because I see these women come through and I feel like and parents too like most parents want better for their yes. children than what they had to deal with right yes. and so I th I'm seeing more and more young moms come in and go like I struggled with endometriosis my daughter's now in puberty like what do I need to look out for and what can be done yes. so there is definitely a lot of a like awareness is building and because of that I think you know the next 10 years things are just going to look so different mm -hmm. and I'm really hopeful for the future um and I also think you know it's our youth who are going to change it they're going to demand more mm -hmm. and because of that they're go we're going to address things differently right yes. and I think they're going to herald a ton of change and I'm excited for it. Teens are amazing. They're such they're aware of so much because they're aware of how they're starting to become aware. They become aware of how they are being parented. Yes. Mm -hmm. Such access to information. So they're mm -hmm. aware of the fact that they are both be going to become adults, but not quite there. So tapping into that level of awareness in an ever changing society. I agree. Teens are yes. like a powerful resource of energy of understanding how humans are evolving right what's happening during that time mm -hmm. so potent what is there anything you could share if you had known a period hack from your puberty experience that you wish you had back in the day when you were a teen oh my gosh i get asked a lot now about my own puberty experiences and it yes. is me, you know, I was thinking about them them recently and how I even learned about a period, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Oh boy. I think there's a difference between reproductive education and sex education, firstly. But one thousand percent no <laughs> I don't recall any reproductive education in school, but I remember sitting in the car and my dad was a veterinarian and it was uh, me and him maybe my little sister was in there too but i was sitting in the back seat and the radio was playing and he was driving and the lady on the radio was talking about a period and i remember leaning up and being like dad like a period a period's a punctuation mark at the end of a sentence <laughs> and you know him being a vet like he just took that opportunity to educate me on wow. reproductive anatomy but like started with animals <laughs> perfect <laughs> perfect right yeah you know 
And I just remember slinking further and further back into the car seat. Oh, no. I never opened my mouth, right? Mm-hmm. And I was doing like some mental gymnastics, trying to relate, you know, animal reproduction <laughs> to human. <laughs> but anyway, but like at that point, way too embarrassed to ask any more questions. But it was not mm-hmm. lost on me, you know, that he was willing to go there. And so mm-hmm. I think as parents... You know, just be willing. You don't need to know all the answers. Yes. Just be willing to let your kids ask you questions and answer mm-hmm. them the best way you can. But hacks. <laughs> so definitely yeah. a puberty book would have been helpful. Yes. <laughs> cool. Really, you know, and there's some great ones out there now. Just mm-hmm. to kind of offset some of the animal reproduction. <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> God knows it took me a while. Med school was really helpful. <laughs> um, but I remember I, I don't like carrying a, a handbag. I kind of stick my phone in my pocket and away I go. Um, so I when I discovered a diva cup, I was like, this mm-hmm. is great. Do not need to worry about carrying around a pad or a tampon. So that was wonderful. I'm a big fan of my IUD. Yes. Um, same, same, same. And the other thing, like, as I look back, I didn't have horrible periods, um, but I definitely had very irregular periods through a lot mm. of my years. And now I realize that that was not a healthy thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like understanding the menstrual cycle and understanding um, when you know how often your period should come mm-hmm. and when to be concerned um, those things are really important I think we've come a long way in that space thankfully the other thing I would say is you know as a parent because I have four kids <laughs> so um, now I kind of look at just how I parent my kids and think about as a mom like what are the things that I want to make sure for for my children and you know as parents we have these expectations right and so we expect our kids to somehow magically transition from all the awkwardness of puberty Mm -hmm. into um into like some sort of reproductive wellness and then in turn into healthy sexual relationships later in life (laughs) yeah we don't we don't have a roadmap for that you know we don't have a roadmap to guide them to those places yet we expect them to get there and because of what i do like having awareness of that i mean there's so much as a parent right that we're we're thinking about you know mm-hmm. are they are they are their friendships okay are there you know are they doing okay in school are they doing the activities they want that we really don't prioritize health And I think, you know, these are actually the things that define us most as people, right? You know, our bodies are amazing. You know, we need to take care of them um, because they have to last us our whole lives. And so I think about that a a lot when my my patients come to see me, you know, and just helping them to value, value their bodies for all that it does for them, including their reproductive health. I love that. Start with like, I think it's like emotional emotional health and physical health like that to me as i'm also a mom like that is number one like 
I mean, right. sure. Would I like you to do well in school? Yes, but it doesn't really matter. Like, I I can't remember third grade, right? Like, sure, I'm sure I learned <laughs> something, but like, I want you to be physically okay and emotionally and mentally okay. And then, then we can deal with everything else. But we have to have the language to talk about it. And if you aren't a parent seeking that out and you don't know how to do that yourself, I would say start there. Right. And then to add on to what you were saying, Maggie, about having them ask questions, if you don't know the answer, tell them you don't know the answer and you'll look it up together. Figure it out together. That's my favorite. We'll figure it out together. So it's not like a hierarchy of like, I have all the information, right? No, I don't. Right. Let's, let's normalize that. Right. Mm. Yeah, we're always learning. Things are yeah. always changing. Yes. And if we don't have that, like that piece of, hey, let's go figure it out. And we're always looking for moments to connect to, right? Especially, right. especially during those teen years, because developmentally, right, we know they're, <laughs> they're going to retreat into their own worlds, right, as they start to build and create. But mm-hmm. you know, they're great opportunities mm-hmm. to just have those touch points Mm -hmm. and they don't have to be exhaustive they can be a couple of minutes here and there but like being that sounding being that place i tell my teens all the time you know your parents are going to be the most invested people in your life right Mm -hmm. um and so and so coming back to them for answers like that's a safe place and it's a real privilege as a parent Mm-hmm. to have that place, you know, as they start to, you know, drive their own car, but being in that passenger seat, you know, in case they need to is just mm-hmm. really important. Adolescence is a time where 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 you get a, an opportunity to to step into those places and they can be super uncomfortable, right? Because yeah. We don't, we don't have all the answers. No. Or you have your own feelings about it. Right. And it's like, okay, oosh, like, okay we have our own like, filters, yeah. right? It doesn't necessarily apply, but nothing like a teenager to check that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They will get you. They, they know. Ooh, right. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So yeah, you know, conversations may not always go well, but. And that's okay. Back to the drawing board, right? They want that knowledge, right? Yes. And they want that understanding. You know, I feel like, you know, porn is becoming like the default sex ed in America, right? Maybe the world over. But like, I think it's particularly hard for young women and they want another place to go, right? And so I think like, let's, let's go there with them and help them build, you know, their reproductive stories. Yes, yes. As a, as a sex therapist and sex educator, like I, yes, ah, I need, yes. need to give them the information, right? Because then they, if, if we don't, they land up in unhealthy relationships with others or themselves, and then they come to me, right? And they're like, I've had so many clients say, I wish I would have known this. Like, how come I didn't know this? And we have to have like this whole process of grieving because they didn't have this information. And 
it is about, and it starts like it starts. I know my daughter's only six and a half, but we have started way, you know, and we, I talk about this all the time on the podcast. Like we, we have started well before right now talking about yeah. our bodies and what's, what's, what's happening. Because they know where everything is. Right. right. And I, yeah. And we're like, she's like, oh, there's, now she's like really into my boobs all of a sudden. And I'm like, okay, cool. She's like, I got your booty. Like, yeah. Great. Lovely. Yep. That's great. Okay, cool. Just make sure you ask for consent. You know, like that's. That's right. normal, right? And that's the other piece, right? Mm-hmm. Consent. Yes. All those things are modeled in those small conversations early. Exactly. And so I think our sexual health really does. It encompasses, you know, our physical, emotional, emotional, mental, and yes. our, our social well-being, yes. right? Yes. Like it's not this little like small little thing off on the side that no. really is untalked about. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. in Let's, all those pieces. I, again, say this all the time on the podcast, but talking about pleasure too, right? Pleasure yes. with your own body, with maybe a partner, but then in your day-to-day, like it doesn't have to be erotic, but that we should be well aware of that and and how our our cycle can impact pleasure. And that's, okay, yes. let's talk about what that means. Instead of but it being like this thing. Denial yeah. about our whole, you know, if that's all in yes. shutdown, you know, yeah. how are you going to embrace the highs and the lows, right? A mm. hundred conversations you had said earlier. And I yes. think it's just like really letting that digest in because the idea of, yeah, one big conversation is definitely going to be more intimidating, more overwhelming than little pieces of intel being repeated and delivered. Is that the educational style? that inspired the guide space. I want to take one moment to talk about the amazing yes. resource you've developed yes. from your work and passions, the guide space. Am I saying it right? Or is it GYN space? Well, yeah. okay, good. GYN space, the guide space. Yeah, whatever, whatever, however you want to say it. So uh, I've shared a little of my story. And so I've worked in a number of different, in, like different settings. So for large healthcare institutions, academic settings, and, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed, they've all worked for me at different times, right? I've gotten mm-hmm. to do some amazing things, um, some great research and been part of, you know, starting programs and different things. So it's been fantastic. But in this season of my life, I started to realize, you know, when I first started in PD Adolescent Guy, and it was all about education, you know, mm-hmm. like, let's figure out, you know, how we should be managing this, you know, what's the recipe for success um, in managing these things and diagnosis, and then what are the best treatments? And then now in this season, I feel like education's great, but partnering (laughs) with adolescents to understand where they're coming from and to understand where it is they want to go, like Mm. what their goals Mm -hmm. are as menstruators um, has just become, um, you know, I felt like I was giving them all this information and then being like, so, so, why, why, why won't you incorporate these? <laughs> yeah. them, you know? And I thought, uh, it really takes time and relationship building and healthcare has evolved a lot. And I feel like over the years, the amount of time you have with your patients has gotten eroded. And, you know, also just to speak a little bit to sometimes teenagers and parents are just like, they're not on the same page mm-hmm. and helping to bridge that conversation 
also takes time. And so for a long time, I've been really passionate about creating a unique space for teens um, where, you know, their reproductive health care needs can get met kind of on their terms. And so that was kind of the thought process behind the GYN space. And then I was just at a space in my life where I wanted a little bit more um, flexibility in my work life anyway. So I thought, oh, and I stepped away. And then I was like, I really feel like now is the time that I can create the GYN space. And so I'm early days in it, so I'm not sure how it will all evolve, but I'm really excited about it. And I'm enjoying it and I'm enjoying like creating it and um, yeah, building it and hoping the patients will come. come. <laughs> it's a virtual telemedicine practice. So, so anybody in the state of Florida can, can access me for their reproductive care. Um, and we know um, Florida needs you. Yeah. That's what I was <laughs> saying <laughs> early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm hopeful to, to connect people a little more. So to have groups, um, that I would moderate where teens can come and share, um, at their menstrual concerns. Um, maybe like, you know, you take 10 young women with PCOS, they don't yes. all look the same. You take 10 young women with a bleeding disorder, you take 10 cancer survivors, or you take, you know, 10 parents with a developmentally different child. All their reproductive stories are, are different and yet there are similarities and there's a lot of commonality, right? And so I think, you know, sometimes in healthcare, it's hard to connect people. And so creating the GYN space, I was hopeful too, that for those who want to connect, being able to do a little bit of that, but then also providing the medical oversight. Um, mm. So I'm excited. You'll have to have me back on to talk yes. about it. And then I still do a little bit of obstetrics and stay plugged in with, with the residents at UCF. Um, and so I still get to retain like a lot of those pieces that I've been excited to do over the years too. So, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. That. Created balance really for cool. yourself. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. In inspiring, yeah, as a provider who's giving so much and that you've mm -hmm. shifted from education to partnering with the youth. That's mm -hmm. a cool evolutionary Mm -hmm. yeah. word phrasing word smithing to bring to the edge because it's education but it's sharing in a different way very yeah cool. and just helping them incorporate it into their lives but in order to do that you have to understand their circumstances mm -hmm. and they're not going to open up about that right away right they've got to learn this to trust you a little and you've got to build those relationship pieces so i hope to mm -hmm. have yeah the opportunity to do that well, we're happy for you. We're going to look forward to building the relationship with you and definitely yes. having you back to hear how the Guide Space evolves. Thank you so much. Listener, you can find out more about the Guide Space in our show notes, information about Dr. Maggie Abraham. Maggie, thank you again. Be thank back with us the second Thursday of every month to keep flowing. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It was great. Flow is produced by Bloodstream Media and edited by Kay Vermeil. Shout out to Flow's creative director, Amy Board, and hosts Jessica Richmond and Sarah Watson. New episodes are available the second Thursday of each month. Hey, that's the day after I start menstruating. <laughs>